Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Super Bowl next week. Uh, all week long, we will be popping in and out of Vegas with uh, a lot of big guests who will be joining from Radio Row in Las Vegas in the run-up to the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs playing on Super Bowl Sunday. 49ers a two-point favorite in the game. I am looking forward to it. Um, Alex Molden joined us earlier in the show, talked about why Patrick Mahomes is difficult to defend, talked about the keys to defending a quarterback like that, talked about Brock Purdy. Uh, we'll unpack a little bit of that later in the program. Also, uh, grab the podcast if you uh, are looking for it. Um, our next guest, Spencer McLaughlin, hosts a podcast called Locked on Ducks. He also does work at 750thegame.com. You can see his written work, and he joins this show occasionally as our Ducks insider. He's joining us now live via satellite from his lair. Where are you right now, Spencer McLaughlin? Cedar City, Utah, John. A beautiful place if I've ever seen one. I like that. What's the weather like? Set the scene for us. What's Cedar City, Utah well, like? You know, it, it gets snowy in the months of December, January, and February-ish, but that's why St. George is 45 minutes away down I-15, and that's Phoenix light. So I've got year-round golf up here, but, you know, when it's, uh, when it's fall time, there are a few places as beautiful that I've seen as uh, the Pacific Northwest and Cedar City. There are these just beautiful red rock hills that surround the city that when they get dusted with snow in the winter time, just look like you're in, in some sort of movie or fake scene. And the scenery all around is, is quite fantastic. And, you know, before I moved here a couple of years ago, I'd never been to Utah and I, I'm loving every second of it. What brought you there? Uh, work. I am the play-by-play voice for Southern Utah University, and I got an opportunity to come out here a couple of years ago, and we continued to expand and uh, tweak and adjust my role at the school in, in a good way. And uh, this is my third season doing play-by-play for, for the Thunderbirds on radio and ESPN+. Plus. Love that. Uh, you know, look, I want to place a clip for you. Change of scenery for okay. Oregon, and, Oregon and Washington as well next season as they'll go to the Big Ten. Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports was doing an interview there, and he talked about Washington football joining a new conference. He called it bad timing. I want to play this clip. I want to get your reaction to it. Washington, same thing, man, Tier 3. I think it's terrible timing for them to be joining a new conference. The program's committed, though. That's very, very important because we haven't always said that about Washington athletics up there to this degree. It's a tough time to be transitioning because of what just happened to the program. You're not losing, no one's losing 20 of 22 starters off a championship team and just rolling merrily along. And I mean, talent factories like Georgia wouldn't roll merrily along. They've got to be smart, too, regarding talent. they got to be smart with the way they try and recruit. Washington cannot recruit like Oregon does. Two totally different entities. So they've got to be a much smarter program with the way they approach talent acquisition. They're... You agree with Josh on that front? Is is this just bad timing for Jed Fish's program? Well, I think it was going to be bad timing for whoever was, was Washington's head coach for 2024, or will be, I should say. And of course, that's going to be Jed Fish. But you know, Washington had all the stars aligned for their 2023 season, and they 
you know, made their best swing at it, and they, they took a pretty damn good swing at, at winning a national championship there. But it was definitely an all-chips-into-the-front-of-the-table mentality, and that was the feeling going into the year and why expectations were so high up in Seattle is that you had all these guys coming back. You had a bunch of veterans. You had Michael Penix. You had uh, the, the great offensive line as well that went on to win the Joe Moore Award, and I think deservedly so with the way they protected Penix all year, really the last two years. So I, I think on the it's bad timing to go to the Big Ten, I, I think it's just bad timing, period. I don't think it really matters what league you are in if you're Washington. You know, with the way that they've recruited over the last couple of years, they've got some capable players. You can get guys in the transfer portal. But if the Pac-12 had stayed together, we'd feel the same way about Washington. Because if the Pac-12 still had Oregon in it and USC and maybe Oregon State with Jonathan Smith and Utah and Arizona on the rise, we'd look at Washington the same way, which is this is not a conference contender in 2024. And I don't think anybody expects them to be. So I think Pate is onto something there. I just don't think that it's specific to the Big Ten. You know, I think they could be ripe to have a 7-5 a, a sort of season, 8-4 and four sort of year if they were – maybe even in the Big 12, which, which has got a decent depth of teams. Or, you know, the ACC I don't think is particularly deep, but they've got some strong teams up at the top. I think Washington, you, you know, would face the same problem in any conference. They just happen to be going into the Big 10, which is one of the power two conferences in college football. Yeah, I think, you know, Oregon has this great recruiting class, and they're recruiting through the roof, literally. And, you know, doing it on a level that they haven't done before, and they've got some continuity with a coach. And I just think, like, you know, when was it going to be a good time? But on top of the fact that, like, Washington, you know, do you get the sense that Washington just, it was lightning in a bottle, they peaked in a year, they had Penix, they had DeBoer, and it was just the right time, right people, and, man, they hit something, they hit with something. Or can Washington, using its collective and its brand, can they – can they build back and become a top five school in the Big Ten in your mind? I, I don't think that it's a TCU style lightning in the bottle. There was an element of last season that certainly is not readily repeatable with the way that program has been run, but they're the only Pac-12 school, formerly RIP, to make the four-team playoff on multiple occasions. When Washington has the right coach in place, they are a top 10 program or team in college football. That has been evident over, you know, the last decade or so once Chris Peterson got there, right? They'd fallen all the way down with an 0-12 year. Steve Sarkeesian kind of established a base level of success. And then they brought in Chris Peterson, and he took them up to where they're capable of being. And then they fell back down under Jimmy Lake, and they built back up under Kalen DeBoer. And I, I think that if you have the right coach in place there, that's a team and a program that, as Pate says, is bought in and does want to win and is willing to do what, what they can to give themselves the best chance to do so. And they gave themselves the best chance to do so. I mean, a big reason that they were able to make this run was Michael Penix. Why was Michael Penix there? Because Washington had enough NIL money. I, I think that's why Bo Nix came back to Oregon, at least partially as well. Both felt like they had unfinished business. But both guys also were able to come back and, you know, make – I don't know the figures, and I don't know that anyone will, will ever know the exact amount, but it seems to be the going rate for quarterbacks in the NIL market today of that caliber 
is one, two, three, four million dollars, depending on which school you are at. So clearly Washington has got the community investment, the boosters to be competitive. Are they Oregon? No, but also they're capable of beating Oregon when they are when they are right, when they've got the right coach and when things have been built the way that they're supposed to in the eyes of Husky fans. So I, I think for Washington going forward, if they've made the right hire in Jed Fish, and I think he's a really good football coach, I was a little surprised, though not entirely, that he left Arizona, given the situation they have going into next year. I, I think that Washington can absolutely be a top-five program in the Big Ten. I don't know about every single year. I'm curious to see how Jed Fish recruits up there in Montlake, but to say that that was a TCU-level you know, had it all going their way and everything. Sure, they caught some breaks and they won a bunch of close games and everything like that. But if you put 2023 Washington on the field against 2022 TCU, I'll take Penix and the Huskies by 10 points. Yeah, I just wonder with Penix being gone, you know, that's a divot you're going to have to replace anyway. And, you know, Jed Fish, I think he's a good coach, small sample size. I do hear some angst, Spencer, from some key Washington uh, supporters who are saying, they're not as sold on fish as they were Kalen DeBoer when he walked through the door because he had a larger proof of performance, larger sample size. What, what, what's realistic next season for Jed Fish? Seven, eight? How many games can he win? I mean, make a bowl game and you have to call it a success when you lose 20 starters. I, 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 I don't know that I've seen that in, in college football recently that, that I can remember because that, that's just an unconscious number of – of guys to lose and he's brought in some players from Arizona. He, he's kept a couple guys that committed to Washington via the transfer portal in the off season, but they're, they're going to have a very new team next year to be sure. But when you look at their schedule, it, it's got some tougher games on the back end of it, but they could be feeling pretty confident through the first few weeks. They start with Weber State and Eastern Michigan at home. Those will be wins. I don't think we're going to have a repeat of Montana in 2021. Then they've got the Apple Cup at Lumen Field. That could be a really tough competitive game. But then they start with Northwestern at home and Rutgers on the road, which is, you know, just wrong. But, like, that's a different conversation here. Northwestern and Rutgers, those are not top-tier Big Ten teams. Then they get the national championship rematch at home against Michigan, and Michigan is going to be a pullback team from what they were a season ago. Then they go at Iowa and at Indiana. It's the final four games where their schedule gets tough. They host USC. They go at Penn State. They host UCLA, who may or may not have Chip Kelly as their head coach. We'll see. And then they go at Oregon. That's a difficult stretch. But those first eight games, look, I don't think Washington is a Big Ten contender or anything close to it. But with Will Rogers at quarterback and Jed Fish as your head coach, They've got a couple of other solid pieces. I think they kept Jeremiah Hunter, the receiver from Cal. That's a solid number one go-to guy. They brought in Ephesians Prysock, the transfer corner from Arizona. Pretty sure they grabbed the running back, Jonah Coleman, as well. Like There are a couple pieces here and there. They're going to be light in the trenches, which could be tough in the Big Ten, like when they go at Iowa on October 12th. But I, I think that Jed Fish and the Huskies are a bowl team here. Six, I think eight wins is probably your ceiling. And it's probably a six or seven win year, and I think that that's okay. Spencer McLaughlin is our guest. You can read his work at 750thegame.com. Uh, Spencer, 
the Ducks uh, will will have more momentum, more depth. Dan Lanning back, recruiting through the roof. Um, I think you know I've gone from saying this is going to be harder than expected to watching you know Michigan, as you said, take a step back. Uh, looking at Ohio State, going yeah, they're recruiting well, but uh, they lost a little shine last year, and I'm kind of looking uh, looking around that conference, and I'm going, gosh, can you pick Oregon with a straight face to be second in the Big Ten next season? What do you see? Yeah, you can do it with a straight face. Ohio State is very good. I, I, I think Ohio State has got an excellent roster. That That's a team that needed better quarterback play than they got a season ago. Uh, I, I don't think that Kyle McCord was very impressive, and the evidence of that is that he's no longer their quarterback for, for the 2024 season. They brought in a veteran in Will Howard from Kansas State. You could pick either one. I don't know how you could pick anyone else to be the favorite. You know, Penn State is going to be a good team. They're always a good team. But they haven't proven that they can contend with the big boys consistently. James Franklin, during his tenure over there in in Happy Valley, is 4-16 and 16 against Michigan and Ohio State. I mean, it, it has not been good. And Jonathan Smith is not going to be able to – you know, have a big pop year in, in his first season in East Lansing with Michigan State. I'm sure he can get it going eventually, but I don't think it's going to be in year one. I think Ohio State and Oregon are the class of the Big Ten, and you can make the case one way or the other. It could come down to that Oregon game hosting Ohio State on October 12th at Austin Stadium. That could be the game of the week in college football. It might be one of the games of the year in college football. And, you know, I think it could have a, an Oregon-Washington feel from a season ago in terms of the ramifications for making the playoffs in the big 10 championship games, a little bit different in the 12 team era, but I look at Oregon, Ohio state, they've had fantastic off seasons with a commonality as well, which is a lot of guys specifically on defense, but a couple on offense decided to come back when they could have gone to the NFL. You look at guys like JT Tuomolau, for, for Ohio State, who's a fantastic defensive end. Then they bring in Caleb Downs, the five-star safety from uh, from Alabama, who was an All-American. And then you look at Oregon, and they get Jordan Birch back at defensive end, Jeffrey Bossa at linebacker, and there are just a, a number of other guys that they've brought in or returning that you look at and go, oh, those are impact players that make Oregon a better team because they're there once again. So I, I think both of these teams have, have got that in common. Their head coaches are there. They've brought in good transfer portal quarterbacks who, you know, can do what they need them to do to win games. And I think those two have got to be your two favorites in the Big Ten. I'm a little bit surprised that there's not more, I guess, concern about Dylan Gabriel, the transfer quarterback that everybody expects to start for Oregon. Um, I'm not hearing people go, gosh, can he be Bo Nix? Gosh, can he, what can he be, you know? What do you think Dylan Gabriel can be? What you, you said what they need out of him. What does Dan Lanning need from him? He needed them to be the same guy. Just just be the same guy he was last year. I, I mean, Dylan Gabriel last season ran for 12 touchdowns, threw for 30, had six interceptions, and threw for 3,600 yards, completing just under 70% of his passes. You, you don't need a ton more than that. He demonate, demonstrated a clutch factor in – the Red River showdown when he moved Oklahoma right down the field to win the game against Texas. That was an outstanding effort individually. You talk about the impact one guy made. He didn't play the year prior. They lost 49-0. He plays. They win the game outright. 
uh, as an underdog in that game. So I, I think that for Oklahoma to, you know, have basically prepared him for this season is a great benefit for the Ducks because he's played in big games. He's played in close games. He's been productive. He's, you know, had a clutch factor. He certainly wasn't perfect last year. And Oregon doesn't need him to be Bo Nix. You know, they, they need him to be what he was a season ago, a, a high, highly efficient quarterback that executes the offense, somebody who comes in and, you know, knows where the ball is supposed to go. He works in tandem with Will Stein like Bo Nix did and understands the scheme of a play and what you're supposed to do and reading the defense well and then make some plays with your legs every now and then. And if he's able to do all those things, consistently that then he'll succeed and Oregon will succeed they might not quite be where they were uh, a season ago uh, I mean they were you know top five offense in all of college football Bo Nix is a Heisman finalist Dylan Gabriel's got the third best Heisman odds in all of college football right now I think that's too high but I, I I think it's a testament to where Oregon is at I think that's reflective of what the betting markets feel about Oregon and the success they can have next year in the Big Ten Spencer McLaughlin Find him, Locked on Ducks podcast, and you can find his work at 750thegame.com. Spencer, you have a good weekend, buddy. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Go Ducks. There he goes. Spencer McLaughlin talking about Washington's transition, Oregon's transition. I think it could be a little bit of an eye-opener for the Huskies. I think Jed Fish is a good coach. I think you lose 20 of 22 starters. Uh, Yeah, you're in a transfer portal era, but... You're not only making the move to the Big Ten, you're you're trying to backfill on a roster that has, you know, a hole in the bottom of the bucket. Leave it here. We'll we'll uh talk about the Super Bowl uh and the sinking ticket prices in Vegas. Is that real? Hour number one, we had two time World Series champion Joe Madden, former manager of the Chicago Cubs and the Angels and the Rays. He joined us in hour one. Great conversation with Joe Madden. We talked uh, all about baseball. We talked about the most talented player that he's ever coached. We talked about baseball in Portland. Would it work? We talked about managing different kinds of players. Here's Joe Madden when I asked him the most talented player he's ever coached. Keep in mind, Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, yeah, those kinds of guys. Most talented player you ever managed? Shohei. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could talk about the other guys. I mean, uh, even back to the Angel days, uh, Darren Erstad was pretty darn talented. Jimmy Edmonds still might have been the, one of the might be the best baseball player. I mean, everything. Jimmy could do everything, and he came on out of nowhere as a minor leaguer. And when he caught Fireman and went with the Cardinals, you saw everything that Jimmy can do. And there's, it's not a whole lot different between him and Ken Griffey. I know people might nuts for saying that, but on the same field on. Check that stuff out. They were both that good. Uh, Jimmy was that good. Um, more recently, like I said, Shohei. Shohei, of course, has just been DHing and pitching, but I, if you put this guy in right field for a whole season, he's an all-star right fielder. He's, an all, he's a Hall of Fame candidate right fielder. He's all of that. He runs well. He throws well. He hits, hits with power. He runs the big rate. And then on top of that, he throws 90-some miles an hour. With, and he, then he creates on the fly. This guy... Uh, to learn a pitch right before the game and take it into the game and be very effective with it, very adaptable. So I, I was pretty fortunate to have run into him. Mikey Trout, and of course Mikey. Mikey's outstanding, but he can't pitch. You know, it's like um, <laughs> Shohei's just a little bit different, brother. He's different. I love that. Uh, Mikey Trout, 
He's really good, but he can't pitch. I went on to ask Joe Madden uh, if baseball works. Does it work in Portland? He said if it works in Seattle, it works in Portland. Here's Joe Madden. Well, if it works in Seattle, it works in Portland, right? I mean, uh, the Seattle Pilots, they go way back, and it's kind of uh, fuzzy to think about those days with the Pilots and their wonderful uniforms. And then the Mariners, I mean, when I was with the Angels, I was up there all the time, and I saw that franchise going. I'll tell you another thing. In the 80s, when I was running instructional leagues in Arizona for the Angels, the Mariners had among the best talent that there was. They didn't win. But I'll tell you what, their scouts and their minor league developmental people did a great job. So, it, of course, it works. That ballpark up there is one of the best. Uh, I think it's T-Mobile now. Um, the fan base is rabbit. I mean, when you, they show up, and it's kind, of a, it's kind of a cult kind of a method, the way they, they follow their group, a very individualist, individualistic group of people, and they protect their own. Protect their own cult-like Seattle Mariners fans. Joe Madden. Grab the full interview uh, wherever you get a podcast to this radio show. We also had, in hour number two, Alex Molden, former NFL defensive back, former Oregon Duck. He's got a kid now playing in the NFL. He's got another kid playing in high school that uh, has a pile of offers. Uh, we, We started talking about the Super Bowl. Alex Molden likes the Super Bowl. But we started the conversation by talking about uh, how you defend Patrick Mahomes. Here he is. The biggest, the, the biggest word is discipline. You cannot give him extra plays like the Baltimore Ravens did where you get in a critical moment, you give him an extra 15 yards because it's a 15-yard penalty because you can't control your, your emotions or you tackle him around the head or you do stupid things that can cost your team. So you have to be very smart. You've got to be disciplined, and from time to time you have to – bring pressure but it it cannot be to get sacks it has to be to get him and keep him in the pocket and just constrict him keep him in the pocket constrict him yeah if you remember the super bowl the last time the niners and the chiefs played um it frustrated me a little bit because the 49ers i thought gosh they have such a great pass rush they have a you know they have bosa and you know they can come they can get after you and make you uncomfortable and you see it all season long but with Mahomes they really did kind of lay back a little bit dropping more players into coverage being more selective when they came after him be really curious to see um why and how they get Patrick Mahomes uh off kilter and try to affect his timing and make him uncomfortable Alex Molden uh Talked about quarterbacks like Mahomes. Uh, he said he liked defending guys like Dan Marino. Hated defending guys like Michael Vick. I loved the Dan Marinos of the world. I did not like having to deal with the Michael Vick, who can be able to extend plays, that can be able to maneuver. And, you know, because we're built as DBs, as defenses, we're built on timing. Like, okay, this I only have to cover this world-class athlete for four, three to four seconds. It gets extremely hard when you have to cover that person for eight and nine seconds. It gets – because now, you know, because we're scripted in terms of, like, there are only so many routes they can run. But when you have a quarterback that can extend plays, now the route tree, that's out the window. Now it's backyard football. So – he makes them very difficult. And so, you know, when you do rush him, whether it's with four, five, or six, you have to 
You have to. You can't create lanes because he'll hurt you. There you go. Talking about the de, the way you defend a Patrick Mahomes. If you want the rest of that interview with Alex Molden, go to wherever you get the Bald Face Truth Radio Show podcast. Uh, Super Bowl tickets. I saw a headline today. Super Bowl tickets continue to plunge, and I thought, huh? Because I looked on Monday, and I looked on Tuesday, and the Super Bowl tickets were like, you know, nine. 9,500, uh, 9,000, 9,200. I mean, I was like, this is ridiculous. Well, as of today, the lowest get-in ticket is currently at $7,700. And people are saying they've plunged since Monday down $2,200. I, I guess they are down. I don't know when something's $7,700 if we could say it's plunged. I don't know. I think we still have to say, damn, it's still really expensive to go to a Super Bowl game. Judah, seventy seven hundred, is it start are you starting to think about it? <laughs> uh no, I'm not. But I wonder if there's some Niner fans out there uh that, that are thinking about it. But you're right. If it's seventy seven, that's not plunging. I think uh you know, I get it. It's the prices are dropping. But I, I still think uh, you know, as you as you look at this Super Bowl, it's going to be probably one of the most, if not the most, expensive Super Bowl to ever attend. I'm looking at the seat map right now. You can get it right now. You can get into the upper deck at about 6,500. So these prices are dropping. Maybe by kickoff. You want to be in the lower level though. You're looking at 10 to 15 grand <laughs> at Allegiant Stadium. I'll just That's have a, uh, Mrs. McCaffrey buy me a box. I think. I think you're better. I think. I think we're all better off watching this game on television. All right, next week we will go to Radio Row. We'll have some big guests on the show. Uh, we're efforting all of that, and I appreciate everybody who listens to the show. Have a great We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.